Well, it's a joy to be with you today, and it really is a joy because uh, it has been quite a journey for us together and individually over the last seven years. I'm really bad with dates, so I had to ask Steve, what date was it that uh, Genesis was formed? Actually, um, been meeting for several months right on our campus at Grace Church, and in 2003, I remember the day we were in the round. I don't know if any of you were even there uh, at the time. Steve was, obviously, and I remember the day we sent you off, and it has been a journey for you. Uh, I got to tell you, excited. Uh, we keep, I keep in touch mostly with what's happening in Genesis through Paul, and uh, I'm excited to see him and the team that has that is together, both the volunteer team, the elders, the staff here. You've got a great team, and you know you have a good man in Paul. I'm going to tell you that you have a very good man in Paul. God has led him here, and I could just tell you that um, this is a God thing that he's here, and you can celebrate. And he's off enjoying the weekend off, so do me a favor. Just shock him when he comes back next week. Everyone hug him, okay? Just don't tell him why. Just hug him. It'll just blow him away. It's a good thing uh, to be with you today, and I'm glad to share a few moments with you. And i got a question I want to ask you this morning. It's uh, where is God? And I don't mean theologically where is God, but where is God in your life Right now, how close is God to the very core of who you are? Now, if we were sitting down having a cup of coffee, you might give me a theoretical answer, say something like, well, I've been following Jesus Christ for X number of months or X number of years, so I know where God is. You know, God, Jesus is in my heart. I'm not asking you for a theoretical answer, and this is a rhetorical question, of course. I'm not asking you to tell me, well, theoretically, where is God? I'm asking you, where actually is God at this moment practically in your life? Is he at the very center of who you are or is he peripheral? Now, if you're a person who would prefer to have God more at the center of your life and less at the periphery, and I would agree with you, that's what I would prefer, then we've got our work cut out for us. Because having God at the core of who you are, and I mean deeply engaged in your daily life, for that to happen, it requires attentiveness. Now, here's a definition of attentiveness for our purposes this morning. Attentiveness is paying attention, noticing, watching, listening, Or, in other words, attending closely to God. Attentiveness. To what degree, my question for you this morning is, to what degree is attentiveness characteristic of who you are? Last year I read a fantastic little book called The Attentive Life by Leighton Ford. And Leighton suggested that being attentive to God is the essence of our journey. He suggests it's the way of making our heart a home for God. It's the essence of our faith journey is to be attentive to God. The more attentive we are to God, the more we attend closely to him and watch, listen, pay attention to him, the more our lives resonate with his presence. The more we give him our attention, the more comprehensive will be his touch in our lives. 
And that's a problem. It's a problem for us who want attentiveness to define us so that God can be more at the core of who we are, not at the periphery. So that our lives more resonate with his presence. This is a problem because you live at a time in history and you live at a place on the map that dulls attentiveness to anything, let alone God. If we're desiring a God-centered life, and a God-centered life depends heavily on being attentive to God, we're in trouble. Because I would suggest to you that we are all plagued with some level of attention deficit when it comes to God. Brett McCracken in his article in Relevant Magazine last September said this, this is one of the biggest problems that must be reckoned with in the Twitter age. Our ever-diminishing inclination and or ability to slow down and think thoroughly, deeply, and profoundly about anything. See, we live in a time in history, and you live a place on the map here in the suburbs of America where it is hard to slow down, right? And to think thoroughly. He went on to say this, Time is the thing we most miss, and yet the thing we have the least patience for these days. There is an orgy of information and stimuli clamoring for our depleted reserves of attention, and it's wearing us all so very thin. It's wearing me thin, and I'm thinking it's wearing some of, all, some of you thin as well. Let me, a little more cultural analysis here. Dalton Conley wrote a book called Elsewhere USA. I recommend it. It's fantastic. It's interesting. He's not a Christian. Interesting perspective. He suggests that a new breed of American has arrived on the scene. He calls that the, calls us the intravidual. One who manages the myriad of data streams, impulses, desires, and consciousnesses that we experience in our heads as we navigate multiple worlds. He went on to say, many Americans have morphed into a hyperactive people, constantly shuttling between where we think we have to be and where we think we should be. Again, he's touching a nerve. This is who we are. We're a little bit out of control, right? We're a little bit overstimulated. And we are constantly shuttling, shuttling between here and there. And the result of all of this, again, is summarized by Leighton Ford when he says this, much of the time, I have to confess, I'm only half looking and half seeing, too preoccupied with my thoughts, running from what has been to what will be next. Half looking, half seeing. And we're talking about life in general. Our relationships are half-hearted. Our engagement and work sometimes is half-hearted because we are so overwhelmed with life. We are only half looking at God, half seeing Him. And the natural consequence of half looking at God is attention deficit. Our attention deficit with God and it's pushing Him to the periphery of our lives out of the center. So, 
What do we do about it? Those of us who want God in the center and not out there. Now, I'm assuming by the very fact that you're sitting here on a Sunday morning when you could be doing something else, that there's something that says in you, you would like to have a touch with God that's a little more than just peripheral. I'm assuming that, okay? So if that's what you want, what do we do? Well, fortunately, there are others who have gone before us who I think can teach us how to struggle with our attentiveness to God. One man in particular, or a group of men, men and women, don't know who it was, they worked hard to overcome the barriers to being attentive to God, and they wrote about it. You can find it in Psalm 119. So grab a Bible, if you have one, and turn to Psalm 119. It's easy to find. It's in the middle of the Bible in number 119. Now, what I tell our people at Grace is this, and I'll tell you this. You had better have a Bible on your lap. Otherwise, you won't know if I'm making this up. Okay, so if you want to know whether I'm making this up or not, make sure you have a Bible, because I could be saying anything, and you wouldn't know if you're not looking at the Bible. So get a Bible, and I'll say this because Paul's, Paul probably wouldn't be as direct... You have to bring a Bible with you to church or go out and get one that's out there and open it up when your pastor is speaking to you so you can look at the scriptures. Now, you're saying I don't have a Bible up here. Well, I printed it all out in my notes, okay? Psalm 119. Now, a little bit of background, Psalm 119. Some of you may know this. It's fascinating psalm or song. It was written in 22 stanzas or sections each Sectioners, each stanza based on a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. That's just something interesting. Each verse of Psalm 119 directly refers in some way to the Word of God. And most explanations of Psalm 119 center on this aspect of it, verse after verse after verse, some aspect of God's Word. And, um, and there's, quite, though, there's quite a bit of topic uh, on this topic of attentiveness as well. Not just on the word of God, but ours being attentive to God. It's Psalm 119. What I'm excited to say, it wasn't just a memoir of a spiritual giant, but it seems to be a song that reflects a, a hopeful plan of a struggling believer. It's an honest struggle with a God-centered life. A story through song of how some people or a person went about reordering, reordering their private world so that they could be more attentive to God. And that gives me hope. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to walk through a handful of verses from Psalm 119 and uh, see what they discovered about being attentive to God. Let's start at verse 2. Verse 2. Blessed are they who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. Blessed is the person who seeks God with all their heart. In other words... You cannot dabble in attentiveness. Attentiveness to God cannot be a hobby. Attentiveness to God cannot be a marginal activity. Attentiveness to God cannot be a secondary commitment. Attentiveness to God has to shape everything else. Blessed are those who seek him with all their heart. In other words, to be attentive, I have to be all in. All in. As Dallard Willard suggests, the spiritual life is a life of interaction with a personal God and it is pure delusion to suppose it could be carried on sloppily. Now, if you want to be attentive to God, you cannot do it in a half-hearted way. 
And the reason why you and I cannot be half-hearted or carry on our attentive relationship with God, attentiveness to God in a sloppy way, is because we are, we are working against some very ridiculously powerful stimuli in our lives. If we go, out, go at this in a half-hearted way, we're going to be buried. Again, from Brett McCracken. He said, my TV has 500 channels. My iPod has 7,000 songs. My internet has like 30 billion pages. I have a cell phone, an internet, and email. I've never more than a phone call away from my parents. There are about 60 ways I can communicate electronically with any given person. So why is it like pulling teeth to get me to spend more than a few minutes each day talking to the creator of the universe? We are overwhelmed with ridiculous, powerful stimuli, and as a result of that, we tend to go at this in a half-hearted way. We're sloppy in paying attention to God. We are in a war of attentiveness. Everything's trying to get your attention, from your child to your television to your iPhone, and you cannot win the war of attentiveness half-heartedly. You've got to go all in with all your heart. Blessed is the one who seeks God with all their heart. Verse 11 of Psalm 119. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. This word hidden means to uh, store up or treasure up or save or stock up. Now, I want you to imagine that your heart is a cupboard or a treasure chest. If you hope to be attentive, your heart has to be filled with the right stuff so that you can access it at all times. In other words, attentiveness to God requires stocking up on his word. Now, God speaks everywhere at all times. We know that God's word is revealed constantly through nature. God's word is revealed through other human beings. And sometimes God speaks to us through spectacular intervention. But the bread and butter of God's revelation to us is the recorded word of God. Now, I imagine some of you are sitting here this morning feeling very alone. Miracles are absent. Pain is penetrating. A relationship is broken. A dream has been shattered. The direction for your next steps is unclear. And when you face a day like you're facing right now, Where do you go? What storehouse do you return to to find what you need to carry you through this moment? It's on days like today when the pain is penetrated and the questions are voluminous that you've got to be able to retreat to the storehouse of truth so that you can be attentive to God. Pull open the drawer so you can pull something out, the thing that you need that you have hidden in your heart or stored up in your heart. To be attentive, you have to be all in, but also to be attentive, we must stock up on the Word of God. When you are reading the Bible, hopefully on a regular basis, it's not just to to grow intellectually. It's to take and mine the Scripture for the nuggets that you will need on a day coming when you're not aware that it's coming. A day you can open the drawer, pull it out, and it's there for you to help you through that time. Attentiveness requires stocking up on the Word. 
Verse 13. With my lips, I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. With my lips, I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. This is an interesting word, recount. Of course, it means to tell or to say, but the root of the word recount is to write a document. To recount means to record something that you don't want to forget. It's to take something you know to be true and recount it. You write it down. You find a way so that it gets seared in your memory. You don't want to forget this thing that God has done. Attentiveness to God is greatly enhanced by recounting or rehearsing what he is doing. Now, there are two ways to do this. The first I'll illustrate, uh, it's in community. There's one way to recount what God is doing. It's in community. Last Sunday night, my small group met. Um, One of our small group members just returned from Haiti. We had a team that went down and worked with a ministry down there. And, of course, we're all aware of the devastation in Haiti. Um, I I lead our small group, and I turned to him, Bob, and I said, Bob, tell us about your trip to Haiti. Well, that was like saying sick him to a dog because he was just all worked up. And about 30 minutes later, he finished. But as he was sharing with us, he wept through the whole thing. He was wrecked. God met him in powerful ways through the little children he ministered to, through the, the poverty that he saw, the smell of death that still hung, on, hung over Port-au-Prince. He was wrecked. God touched him deeply. And for 30 minutes, he recounted what God did in his life. And as he recounted what God was doing in his life, it was Bob's thing, right? But as he was recounting, you could almost see around the room as Bob was sharing his heart and tears were pouring down his face, you could almost see each one of us, God moving more to the center of our lives at that moment, even though we were hearing someone else's expression of what God was doing. See, when we recount what God does, we are more attentive and we can do that in community with one another. It's okay, I hope, in your community, in your small groups, in your families, you are sharing with one another, you recount. You're rehearsing what God has done. So that, that in that moment of attentiveness, you sense that God is working. Now, there's another way, though. Not just in community do we recount what God has done. We can do it in private. I've, um, a number of years ago, I started to journal. It has become a very helpful thing for me. I have a moment every day. I have a routine I follow. Um, I'm, I've done it so many times now that it's just what I do every day, just about every day. Occasionally I miss. But I've got, I have a chair I sit in. I have a cup of coffee I pour. I open my journal, my Bible, and I have a fountain pen. And every, just about every day, I, at some point in the day, I write in my journal. I recount what God has done. Now, here's, I'll tell you this. I've instructed my wife that the moment I die, if she outlasts me, outlives me, to burn my journals because I don't want anyone to ever see my journals, but they're for me as I recount what God has done. And it, once again, it's what my way of being attentive to God to, to stay attentive. We must recount and rehearse what I see and what I hear of God. We must rehearse and recount. Verse 15 of Psalm 119. 
I meditate on your precepts and I consider your ways. Uh, Meditation. Meditation is a word that freaks out some Christians, but all it means is to think deeply about something. It means to contemplate. It means to mull over. It To meditate is to give something sustained attention. And meditation among believers in Jesus Christ is a dying art. Linda Stone, former vice president of Microsoft, said, We are in trouble since sustained attention is a skill we are losing. We live in an age of continuous partial attention. Sustained attention. Meditation contemplation, sustained attention is an art we're losing because attentiveness requires meditation. And meditation requires solitude and silence. You cannot meditate on the fly. Now, some of you, I think, think you can meditate at Starbucks. I don't know how you do that. For me, to... Solitude, what does solitude? It means being alone. Meditation requires a level of solitude. Meditation requires a level of silence. We must find a way, if we're going to be attentive to God, to have moments of solitude and silence. The fact is, you cannot multitask meditation. Meditation requires regular, consistent solitude and silence. Here's my question I have for you. When do you meditate on God? When do you do that? You should be able to say, I have this time and this place. Don't try to tell me you do it on the fly. Well, I got this long commute into Indy. You might be saying, no. When do you meditate on God? When do you give sustained attention? Meditation requires regular, consistent solitude and silence. Verse 37. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. Now, to make this next point, um, I'm going to need to borrow that one second. I'll put it back. And I need two volunteers. I'll come and get you. I'm not going to make my friend John from... Okay, John, can you help me out here? Because no one else is moving. This is John Gray, by the way. He's a friend, senior pastor from Sydney, Australia. Would you welcome John Gray? Have a seat. Can you help me? Yeah, come on up. This is very, very simple. This is not complicated at all. Here's what I'd like you to do, is have a seat. Now, go ahead, have a seat. Oh, no, no, I mean in this chair. But why can't you sit there? Ah, very good. He can't sit there because he's there. Now, did you get that? I'm going to say that again. He cannot sit there because he's there. That's the limit of the illustration. Thank you. You may sit down. Thank you, John. Would you thank them for doing this? All right, now stay with me. It's a very silly, simple illustration. But the fact is this. There are things that preoccupy 
your mind. That chair was pre-occupied, right? The chair was pre-occupied. And and your name is? Ryan could not sit in the chair because the chair was what? Preoccupied. There was only one way that Ryan would be able to sit in that chair. That was if John would vacate the chair. You cannot sit in something. You can He could not sit in something that was already preoccupied. And I would suggest to you that God cannot sit at the core of who you are if something is already there. How many things preoccupy you, your time, and your attention? Your preoccupation keeps God at a distance. If you're going to have God sit, so to speak, on the chair of your heart, what is there, already there, has to leave. In other words, to be attentive, some things will have to go. Now, let's think about this. What is it that preoccupies your heart? What's already there that has to go before God can be there? I'm leaving these uncomfortable pauses to make you think. Let me take a wild stab at something that preoccupies many of you. Work. I know that's kind of a wild stab. I don't know why I thought of that. Work. Do you realize that your preoccupation with your work may very well be the thing that is keeping you from being attentive to God? Let me give you another one. Again, another wild stab. I don't even know why I thought of this, but I'm thinking anxiety. Is there something, some kind of anxiety that is worry, that is overwhelming you, that's in the chair of the heart? Well, do you understand that you cannot be attentive to God and keep Him on the periphery? He must be in the, the chair of your heart. He can't sit in a chair that's already preoccupied. It has to go. Can I suggest that the risk of being a little edgy, that for some of you what's in your heart is family and that your family preoccupies your heart to the point where God can't sit there? And then there's lots of other mindless things, stupid stuff. Are you addicted to the Internet? Gaming? television, whatever, whatever is preoccupying your heart has to go. You cannot fill the chair until you what? Empty the chair. You cannot fill the chair with God until you empty the chair. All right, one more key to attentiveness. I want you to take a look at the screen at this grouping of verses. 
verses 55, 62, 147, 148, and 164 of Psalm 119. Now, I've underlined, to help you out here, what I want to point out in these verses. In the night, I remember your name, O Lord. At midnight, I rise to give you thanks. I rise before dawn and cry for help. My eyes stay open through the watches of the night. And seven times a day, I praise you. Now, what is it that in the grouping of these verses, what is this saying to us about attentiveness? A couple of things jumped out at me when I looked at these verses together. The poet or the songwriter realized that if he were going to experience God at the core of his being, he had to reorder his world. In other words, first of all, he had to begin practicing an all-day-long attentiveness. All-day-long attentiveness. Keeping a sharp eye out for God in unexpected places and times, whether it's in the sky or whether it's in a song or whether it's in a dream or whether it's in a conversation or an experience, He's trying to tell us that whether it was at night or whether it was early in the morning or seven times a day, I'm paying attention. I'm trying to be as aware as I can in everything I see and I do that God is there. I'm keeping a sharp eye out. I'm trying to be as attentive as I can to God. Now, the so there's sort of a random, casual intensity to his life. It could happen at any time that God would show up, and I want to be attentive to it. But there's something else that jumps out. This is not just a uh, random, casual approach. This is also, it's clear that this poet pre-planned his day. Seven times a day, I praise you, pre-planned his day, set aside times deliberately to be attentive. I think two that stand out that I think are crucial is I rise before dawn, and in the night. In other words, as I rise and start my day, and as I end my day, I am attentive to God. Putting this all together, it seems to, be, to, seems to me that to be attentive to God, we must reorder our daily lives to be attentive. Both on an ongoing sensitivity, paying attention, where is God working and also in an ongoing detailed reordering of our world so that I set aside times in my day to be attentive. This past week, I met with a man, a very wise man, and we were talking about some things in my life. And he said, you know what, Dave? He said, I would suggest something to you. I would suggest that you consider having some kind of way to call, uh, call attention to God in your life every 180 minutes. Now, Throughout the years, throughout uh, the last 2,000 years, uh, people of God have been practicing setting aside. Uh, matter of fact, you may, you may know that it's called the divine hours. Uh, if you were certain monasteries around the world, there are roughly every 180 minutes, every three hours, there is some kind of moment of attentiveness and moment of worship that happens in a monastery. Now, we can't pull that off. There's no way that you and I could pull off 
uh, every 180 minutes having a sustained time of worship. That's just not possible, a sustained time of attentiveness. But I'll tell you what we can do. We can take whatever device we carry with us and use it against itself. It's trying to pull us away from being attentive to God, but we can set an alarm, a task that goes off every 180 minutes. It might, it's going to come up on mine, it might just say, uh, seek God on yours every 180 minutes. And in that, every three hours, I can stop and take no more than two minutes and recalibrate and be attentive to God. That's all. Every three hours, the task comes up and says, seek God or pay attention. You might have some kind of buzzword. And it reminds you to pay attention to God. My eyes stay open through the watches of the night. Seven times a day, I praise you. It was interesting. Let me just throw out one other side note. Uh, as we were talking about a tenth, this man and I were talking about a tenth of this. He said, let me show you what I have. And he reached into his pocket and he pulled out a little. He got this from some convent or monastery somewhere in Italy. But it was just a little teeny cross with um, uh, almost look like a bracelet. And he carries it in his pocket. And he says, when I go into meetings to sit down with someone or when I'm driving, or he says, I pull that out and I hold it in my hand. And it is also a physical reminder to remind him that in this moment, pay attention to God. Pay attention to God. It's just a, a little clever way to be attentive. I got to tell you, friends, I know myself well enough to know that it's going to take that kind of determination and discipline if God is going to be at the center of my heart through attentiveness. I know myself. I, when I read this quote by Dallas Willard, and this is a repeat of what I said earlier, that the spiritual life is a life of interaction with a personal God and it's pure delusion to suppose it can be carried on sloppily. I know that was speaking of me. See, I think I can get by with God on the fly. I think I can do that. I can get by with God on the fly, but I don't want to. I don't want to live that kind of existence. You cannot be attentive sloppily, carelessly, or occasionally. God-centeredness doesn't just happen to you because you want it to. So my question to you this morning is, so what will it be? Where do you want to experience God? Out there at arm's length? Or in here, deep within. Here's what we're going to do. I'm just going to give you some time right now. I think there's some of you that you have, before you sat down here in this place, you didn't have a moment to catch your breath. You got up, slammed down a bagel, took a shower, hopefully, or whatever you do, and you showed up here, and you have not yet had a moment of attentiveness to God. Oh, you've heard me speak here, but you haven't been attentive to God. So before we finish the service, I'm going to give you the moment right now, a few moments, to be attentive to God. It's going to be awkwardly silent for a while. They have to open your Bibles, get out a journal, get out a piece of paper, or just sit there and be attentive to God. If you want him at the center, this is where it starts. Let's do that for a few moments.